This is Nancy Allen, and you're listening to Vicki Abelson's The Road Taken. Hi, I'm Vicki Abelson. I wrote a book called Don't Jump. Andy Stone is my heroine, and she was addicted to everything pretty much except heroin. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. She just totally captures the excitement of, of rock stars. And famous athletes and famous comedians. Sort of an insider's view from the outside. The warmth and wit of Vicky's writing knocked me out. In, in a good way, not, not like Cosby. Too soon? Vicky wrote a book? Vicki Abelson's long-awaited new book, Don't Jump, is finally here. Don't miss it. Available on Amazon. Wheezy, John. So you're in the studio. You can see me. I've got right now. I've got like this headphone on my on my head. You do. But normally, like my hair is kind of you know my hair is my thing. My uh, I'm very I'm very my hair is kind of a signature for me. Okay. And I haven't changed my hairdo in about thirty years, maybe more. But anyway, so I'm very attached to this part of me because I think it represents me. I think people associate it with me. You know, it's kind of become a sign that with my feathers, especially my feathers in my hair, which I started because my hairdresser, who is Cindy Wright at Coif Salon in Studio City, you know, when I was coming out to LA um, a dozen years ago, I had a guy in New York that I went to for years and I was really traumatized that I was moving to Los Angeles and I was going to have to find a new hairdresser and I was pretty freaked out about it because I don't, yeah, it's, that's... Your hair is your thing. Yeah, anything yeah. else, you know, I'll go to, yeah, but no, and actually that's not true. I'm loyal to, like, the same doctor, the same, anyway, so my friend Kathleen Wilhoyt, Fabulous actress, fabulous singer. You, Kathleen's fabulous. Yeah. She suggested that I go to Cindy. I loved her hair, and I I was scared. And it was before we moved out here, like six months before, so I could find somebody before. Right? I was like looking for a house and looking for a hairdresser. Those okay. were the two important okay. things. Yeah. So And the schools. It was all about the schools. Well, anyway, so I go to Cindy, and she does my hair the first time, and it's magic. And so now it's 12 years later. Nobody touches my hair but Cindy Wright at Coif Salon in Studio City. She is phenomenal. Phenomenal. She does my highlights because I'm not a natural salt and pepper. No, I, somebody said I had salt and pepper. I don't have gray in my hair. No, it's blonde and whatever other color that is. And there's a lot of that. And it's kind of very stripy and, and kind of not natural looking, which I love. And it's very choppy and, and kind of... It's an event. It's an event. The hair is an event. And Cindy is brilliant every time and you know like I, I look back at pictures and I see that you know it's changed minimally you know through like and you know each time when I do it I'm like oh I liked it better last time until like two weeks later and then I love it anyway I can't recommend her highly enough I love 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 her so if you are looking for somebody that you can trust depend on who's fantastic and who's so much fun I she's become one of my best friends go to Cindy Wright at Coif in Studio City Welcome to Vicki Abelson's broadcast, The Road Taken, Celebrity Maps to Success. Vicki's the creator and host of the renowned celebrity-driven literary salon, Women Who Write, and the author of Amazon bestseller, Don't Jump. Here's Vicki. Hey, Wheezy. Hey, John. Hey, Vicki. Hey, Vicki. Hey, you guys sound very resonant, and I sound very in my head. It's also because I'm a little nasal. I'm fighting like the 15th cold of the season. Why? Because I've slept three hours five nights in a row and 
I'm holding up my prop that I held up last week. I'm still on skinny uh. lemon. I have been cleansing. This is day eight. No. I have not. I had one meal on Saturday night because I was at a convention that I spoke at, and I I had already paid for the banquet, and I'll be damned if I was letting my fifty bucks go to waste. But it was totally not worth it. It wasn't a good meal, and I gained an, a pound and a half back, which totally pisses me off. But so I've lost the Trump eight. It's gone. Okay. But I started out. He gained it. I, I'm blaming Trump for the 10 I gained before. Oh. Even though he wasn't president yet, it's still his fault. There is no shortage of what we can blame him I for. I blame everything on him. So therefore, I have to, I'm continuing, but I really should stop and have a bowl of soup. It, you know, so I have some hot tea. Anyway, I want to I introduce tonight our friend Lindsay is here. Hi, Lindsay. Lindsay. Hello. All right, Lindsay's freaking me out. She's like 12 years old and she what? knows, she know, and she knows Pearl Tools. How, how old are you? Lindsay. I'm 21. She, all right. 21 years old. She knows how to use Pro Tools. She knows how to work a mixing board. I'm like, what? Yeah. Weezy's been trying to get me to learn this stuff and, you know, like, forget it. I'm, I'm too old for this I crap. I don't know if I should shout out my school or not. Well, yeah. Shout yes. out your school. Good college. Yay. <laughs> my daughter got into Ithaca. She should go. She, well, she chose NYU, but but that's for, that diff- that's for a different reason. She got into <laughs> Ithaca for political science and she wanted she wanted she's a theater major so she yeah so she wanted to go to to tish so and actually she gets to do a master class with david mamet this friday so you're doing a master cleanse and she's doing a master class who would you rather be we're we're all about masters i'd rather be in her master class frankly (laughs) um but anyway so um so yeah i'm doing this and you know and i kind of and i need to i need to sleep i need to sleep already sleep and eat but you know what's what was burning what was burning i actually esophagus well, that too. Okay. But I, I, I wrote a treatment this week for a screenplay that I am over the moon. So, like, I had to register it because I think the title alone sells tickets. I can't. I, I'm not going to say it now, but I'm, I'm so excited about it. It's been just, you know, when you, I haven't feverishly written long form. I feverishly write Facebook posts and Twitter posts, but I don't feverishly write. I haven't long form in a while. It's mm-hmm. been too long. Can you like, tell us in code or metaphor? Well, basically, it's <laughs> co- it's sort of a modern day <laughs> version of the producers with with very very current current things because everything is disclosed via social media and apps, and it's all using the current thing and um, and it's 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 very funny and it's a traditional romantic comedy, you know, boy meets girl guy is a goddamn louse, and then he redeems himself and you know yeah, all of that. You've got tinder. Um, it's so funny that you should say that. I'm not. I'm not even going to speak to that. But I'm not even going to speak to that. But you. You are not far I off the mark. I speak such thorough Vicky. You. You, that you, I, you do. You, <laughs> you. You have the Vicky speak. I'm not going to. I'm not going to qualify it. it the, the day will come soon. I hope. Did the stalker make it in? Well, um, <laughs> the stalker is so in there. I, I did a panel. I did. I led a forum um, at this convention this weekend about women in reco- for women in recovery. But I invited men in, and so basically what I was going to talk about was um, how in recovery things change with money, creativity, career, body image, love, sex, relationships. And I had a panel of women with different um, uh, uh, age of different ages, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, and also different lengths of sobriety from 42 days to 22 years. And uh, so everybody told a few minutes of their story and then we were going to go into like every other workshop at the at the convention 
people had swag and they had a script and they broke people into com- into groups and they they were very prepared and i walked in with like a paragraph and i had the lo- and i had the 2 hour session in the big room with Ooh. the open things but a lot of people came and so once everybody did their little share i realized that what we needed to talk about was love, romance, intimacy, and body image, Mm -hmm. self-image, because that was coming up for everybody. And so I disclosed some of my own um, issues, and I included the fact that I'm a stalker, a a cyber stalker, and which got a lot of titters and laughs, but then everybody started admitting their own stalking habits. Because we all, in some way or other, are whether it's a celebrity, whatever, we're watching people. So anyway, not everybody, I guess. We should all confess who we stalk. Okay, who do you stalk? Oh my gosh. I don't think I. Maybe I stalk Barry Gibb. That's a good <laughs> one. That's an interesting yeah, one. Yeah, because I don't think it would, it would bother him at all. Okay, Lindsay, who do you stalk? I stalk Joe Jonas and Dan Howell. <gasps> there you go. That's oh, doing it. I That's... took my son to. Uh, we, we No, is, is Joe Jonas. Wait, who's, what's the other Jonas? Nick. Or Kevin. No, oh, oh yeah, we went to Nick. We we I took him to a, a little talk back with Nick Jonas. Nick is pretty. Uh, Nick's pretty hot. I love him. Nick's pretty hot. So why are you stalking Joe if you like Nick? Well, I'm in love with Joe Jonas, but I oh. still love his brother. All right. Too, like. Well, there you go. <laughs> uh, John, you stalk anybody? I don't stalk anybody that well, I'm in love with. Well, right. Well, no, that's okay. But you're married. Who do you stalk? Uh, I know who he stalks. Who? Stuart who? Copeland. Uh, you, some. Yes. He's a partial. St- Stalk. A partial stalky. I'd say more than him would be uh, Brian Eno, Ooh, producer. Okay, yeah. Ah, you know I've come to start stalking recently. Uh, Hilaria Baldwin on on Instagram. He is a very little known Baldwin brother. The, this is a woman. This is oh. Alex's wife. <laughs> so unknown, it's a woman. <laughs> oh my god! So Hilaria is the wife. That's oh. someone's name. Okay, it is Hilaria. She's she's it's a it's a Hispanic, okay. uh, a Latina name, and um, they have three kids together. And she is a yogi. They he met her in yoga class. She was doing moves, and boy, does she have a body. Through her pregnancies, all of them, she's doing these yoga moves every day, all day, every day. And I'm like, I I just stalk her and look at them. I don't do them. I ju- I figure maybe by osmosis, if I watch her do them. I will get thin. It hasn't worked yet. It's called yoga envy. Yoga envy. Yoga I have, envy. I, have I, I have yoga envy. So anyway, so so it, this this convention forum ended up being the most extraordinary thing. Wow. With people, men like crying and breaking Aww. down. I mean, what stays there? What said there stays there. Wow. I'm not going to tell you anybody's story, but very emotional. And women like really talking about our body images and how much that screws us up in the bedroom. And so, my advice to everybody, mm-hmm. what to men especially, was if you want a woman to shut off the noise in her head, I shouldn't. Lindsay, cover your ears. And um, <laughs> she's she's 21 now. She's 21, but she's a, I'll be 22 in three weeks. Okay, still there you go. <laughs> so oh, so um, and I was I don't even want to tell you how old when I never mind. But anyway, so so I said if you want a woman to shut off the noise in her head, because especially for those of us who don't imbibe and we don't have a drink or a joint to like take cut the noise. Because when I used to smoke pot, I thought my body was I didn't give a shit what you thought because I was so high I didn't care whip off those clothes but you know i've been sober a long time and not so easy for me so very judgmental of myself so i said if you want a woman to relax and really be present 
ravish her. Ravish her with your eyes, with your words, with your hands. Ravish her with your mouth. Ravish her. And then she will relax because she'll know she's appreciated. So somebody came up to me that night at the, after the banquet and said, I'm going to my room. My husband's going to ravish me. And so the next Ooh, morning at the meeting, I said, did you, did you get ravished? And she said, I did. So, you know, wow. so I'm saying to you out there in listening land, all of you, whether you are an addict or an alcoholic or a sober normie or a normie normie who's, if you want the keys to the kingdom, am I wrong? The keys to the kingdom is to ravish with all of you, all of her, and everything will be just fine. So anyway, that, that, that's my stake on that, my take on that. Um, and I just, I wanted to throw out there um, before we, we get to our guest tonight, you know, I've, I've been on this cyber dating thing for a couple of years, and um, I have dis- I had discovered that until a few weeks ago that 100% of the people that I met on there, men, I go that way, not that there's anything wrong with the other thing, 100% lied about something major, whether it be their height, their occupation, their marital status, their name, all of them. I think I might have discussed this before. So anyway, so I met somebody else and, and I had very high, I said, well, this is different because it's always different. Only to discover it's not different. And um, didn't lie about something like that, just uh, behaviorally, uh, just lying to my face. Um, and um, I am someone who was in the land of forgiveness. And so my question that I wanted to put to you is, somebody lies to me once and apologizes. I'm okay. Okay, let's do this again. All right. I, I forgive you. Um, I've lied. And oh my God, when I was using liar, cheater, stealer, you know, I not about anything big, but I mean, I would, you know, bullshit, you know, to manipulate my way or, you know, I would, I would bullshit guys occasionally. Um, anyway, I am not one, it's not my place to judge anybody else's behavior. I have a hard enough time with my own. But there is such a thing as being, there was this great article that somebody posted on Facebook a couple weeks ago about why do I attract toxic men? And her points were that I'm too empathetic, I listen too much, I make excuses for them, I don't value myself, you know, and, and she just went through like 10 points and they were so superlative. And I went, yep, yep. And a lot of men got on the thread and said, you know, that's true for me too. I do the same thing. And so my question to you is, when is it enough? Like I'm deciding today that I'm going to stop something that is somebody I really, really like a lot. And I'm highly attracted to, and there are so many things about him that are glorious, but I do not feel, I feel minimalized and disrespected. And it does, you can apologize to me and we can talk about the specific things that the thing that wasn't said that was true. But if I look back over all the behaviors, there was a disrespect there from the beginning Mm -hmm. and that's not okay. And I remember saying when it started that when a relationship starts and at the very beginning things are getting fucked up, run. It doesn't get better because when a relationship is good, 
for me, in my, from, from my experience, every long-term loving relationship that I've had, they've eventually gone south, but some have lasted 20 years and 15 years and stuff. So, but for me, anytime it starts and there's a trouble, that that's get out now because it doesn't get better. Because a, a relationship that's good and that's meant to be, that's in God's grace, the way I look at it, there isn't that bullshit. I mean, it doesn't mean you don't misstep and have to have conversation, but there isn't like the constant recurring, this doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel good. Why is this happening? What does this mean? No. Spinning, 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 spinning. It stops. There isn't so, that. Okay. And so my question to you, Wheezy, yes. and I'm going to go down all of you. W when is enough for you? When do you say enough is enough? And then when you decide that enough is enough, how do you, what do you do with it? Well, here's the thing. When you like a certain guy, mm -hmm. enough isn't enough until you decide it's enough. Right. But then all of a sudden you're dating the right person mm -hmm. and that's gone. And you're like, wait, oh, what? This is how it's supposed oh, to be. Oh, right, right, right. So right. it never starts with the right person. There's because no lying ever. Right. So here's my test. And I give advice to kids on my podcast, right. which is called, which is called journals, journals out loud. loud. It's great podcast. And so what I tell kids is, you know, just ask yourself, just, two, I'm 14. So just, all right. So yeah. ask Vicky, ask yourself two questions okay. about, about the person. Go ahead. Is he where he says he's going to be? No. Does he do what he says he's going to do? Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes to both of those, but you know what? So it should be always. It should be always. It and should about, be always. about my husband. Mm hmm. It's it's not even a question. Yeah. I'm never I don't ever wonder what did he mean? Ex and that's exactly it. You know, we, we should never want. Okay, so right. now here's the case where let's say for you it wouldn't be because you're you're married, but let's say there was somebody in your professional life or in another part of your life, a friend, whatever, who you who this behavior is happening with. What do you do? Same rules apply. What do you do? How do you do it? What do you do? What it do you say? It depends on how entrenched you are let's professionally. Say in, let's say you're in, let's say you're all right. Because there could be other people involved in, in okay, a partnership. Let's, let's, say there, let's say there's nobody else involved, and let's say you can get out of it gracefully. What do you do? What do you say? I say this isn't working out. I think mm -hmm. we, we have different styles. Okay. All right, that's fair. Lindsay, how about you? I don't know, but the whole time you were going through that, the phrase, the whole, the phrase, "fool me once, shame on you; fool me twice, shame on me." Hell, they, hell yeah, I girl! Like, kind of live by that. That so is, like, that is so true. It's like give the second chance, but after that, like done. Nah. Three strikes, you are so out of there. Yeah. Okay, John, how about you? Well, I was wondering how much of this relationship are you talking about? Is it texting and like? No, it's or, real life. It's real life. It's real life. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's real life. What's the question? <laughs> well, the, the question, how, how soon you know, would you, know, you be gone? This is a perfect example of men, men don't, don't listen, listen to women. <laughs> Gary Shandling. Lindsay and I were like, wow. <laughs> no, let me tell you. Gary Shandling, like, uh, God rest his soul. I loved him so much. He mentored me through my first Huffington Post article, and he had me change it to, I don't know, I had some funny ending, and he said, and yeah, make the tagline, it doesn't matter what you say because um, the man won't be listening anyway. That was literally <laughs> well, the last one. see, here's line. the thing. You know, Men have to process things in in, in their own way. When it All right, we're not getting into men in Mars and <laughs> Venus. I want to know your answer to this question. If you know that somebody is being deceitful with you, if you if how much of how much how much rope do you give them, and then how do you dis, how do you how do you sever it? Well, it, of course, it depends on the situation, but of usually, mm -hmm. and this is the truth. Okay, I'll talk about it with my wife. Okay, and she. More than anyone I've ever met mm -hmm. knows and consents what people are really about. Because right. I tend to give people 
the benefit of the doubt. Right. And there's been situations in my personal life where I extended that too much. Hello. And she, you know, and and she would let me. Uh huh. And then it would get to a point where let you. I love that. Well, yeah, because she's she's not going <laughs> to no, get in there trying to tell me how to do my business. Well, that's what I was saying. Right. She, it's not she's letting you. You're just you're being your own person. She's she's respectful of you being your own person. Right. Yes. She lets me make my own mistakes. Yes. But then it would go south, mm-hmm. and she would never say, "I told, I told you, you so." so she right. wouldn't say that. Uh-huh. She'll just say, "You know, I had a feeling about yeah. that guy." Yeah. So I I, I default to her. That's really valuable, John, because that's exactly what I have done. I went to my sponsor. I went to my therapist. I am talking to three trusted fellows. And that and and the advice that I got back was I wrote like two lines that I want to say. And all of them said to me, sleep on it. Because if you say it now and you regret it, because you know, I, I I am so mad I could kick a nun. So um, you know, that, oh that's, that's not the time you want to do something. Wow, where'd you so, get that? I don't know. I thought of it and I thought, that's I've never heard so, that before. It's so, well, he's Christian. But anyway, um, <laughs> so anyway, I, I, I would never kick a nun. I, it, no, I would never do that. At first I said kick a baby. No, that's too, I would never. And I would never kick a nun. But, um, but I could kick Donald Trump. Let's say that. I'm so Just mad. Just don't I say could, his name. Well, I'm always I, right, that and I, mad. And I, never, and I never say You've his name. You've said it a lot. I've said it three times tonight. I, I'm, sh- I'm and, shocked. And I don't usually, right? And I yeah. always I always say the one I will not name. And it, but that's how mad I am. I'm so mad that I can't even think. You know, yeah. I, so what I decided was it's th- that enough. Enough is enough, right? I'm done. The, we're on the three strike, whatever that is. And so now I want to do it right now. Right now. Do because what? Because I, I want- Oh, I want, break I, up? I, yeah. I want, I want, want me to I, tell him? I want to say the thing, and I want to do it now, because I'm an addict, and I, I want more, and I want it now, and I don't want to wait. And I'm an addict in recovery. It's been many, many years, but I still have that that addict brain. So so I get an idea, and it's like, what do you mean I have to wait? So oh. so I spent like an hour. I'm praying. I'm reading Marianne Williamson prayers. I'm meditating. I'm putting a note in my God can. I'm- texting my sponsor I'm texting my therapist I'm talking on the phone to a fellow I'm like I want to do this now I want to do this now. and everybody of course said the same thing wait till the morning because if you do it now and you regret it there's no taking it back not that but my therapist said but unless you're sure and I'm sure but I also know that if it's the right thing it's still going to be the right thing in the morning and I also know that my God speaks to me when I sleep that when I wake up in the morning the very first thought I have is always divine. It is always the key to the kingdom for that particular day. It is. It is. It always. It's. It, it's strange how that happens. And I just realized something else. I have to say. Um, today is the six-year anniversary of my father passing, and I want to honor my father, Larry Katz, who I miss terribly. And my father visits me through the battery-powered razor in my bathroom, and he's been doing this for two months. And literally, it will just. I will play one of his songs and it will start buzzing and it will fall on the floor in the bathtub and all this kind of crazy shit's been going on for a couple months. But anyway, um, I, I believe in all kinds of things and in, in all kinds of divinity and grace and spirit. And I am 
I do, I'm not leaving tonight, Wheezy, because if I leave, I'm going to do it. So <laughs> I have to be stopped. I have to be I have to be my hand. My, I can't put my hands on my computer. I'm not allowed to pick up the phone. I have to, you know, I don't know how. I'm, and that's the other thing is like, how do I get wait till morning? I don't want to wait till morning. It's very hard. I don't have patience. Pa- so part of, I think, the reason why this happened happened for two reasons, maybe more. One reason is I got a screenplay idea out of it, which is fucking brilliant. The most commercial thing I've ever concocted. And number two, my other lesson is to, well, three. One is to value myself and not allow myself to be minimized. And the other is to pause, to pause and take that pause, which is a lesson that I have to keep learning and learning and learning and relearning because I forget, I forget. So anyway. But you don't want to pause tonight. I don't want to pause. But, you know, I do know that there's never been a time when I've said, um, I, I have said, oh, God damn it, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I would have waited. I've never said, I'm so glad I jumped off that cliff and didn't wait another minute. I, you know, I've never said. No that- one ever has. <laughs> they don't survive. They don't live to listen, tell. Listen, listen. Here's what, here's what I recommend. Yes. Write an email. Yeah. And don't send it. Yes. So that the thought is out so that you can sleep. Yes. That's a good idea. I mean, yeah, I do it another way, but that's a good idea. Okay. The uh, the problem is, I'll probably send it to like the nun that I just kicked. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, but that is a good idea. And the, and writing it, I have I have written in my morning pages today, and I've I've written it in a few in my God cam, but it, it but it would be a good idea to write to him specifically. Yeah. And uh, that would help. So, so you'll so, you'll get it out. Yeah. And then that way I'll get it out. Yeah. And um, yes, and I'll get it out. So. So, all that said, that's absolutely exhausting. Mm-hmm. The upside is that I had this studio to come to tonight and you guys to come to the road taken and to to be with you. But more exciting than that, tonight we have Nancy Allen. Right. And I've been trying to get Nancy Allen to Women Who Write for at least two years. I've been begging and pleading. It hasn't worked yet, but I think. Did, yeah, you, try, did you try stalking? I, I have to try stalking. Well, I do stalk her. <laughs> I stalk her on Instagram, and I have to tell you, I, I want her life because she has, oh, I'm going to talk about this tonight. She has this beautiful love relationship. I mean, I, I don't know. I only know what it looks like to me, but for what it looks like to me, this is, I can see the way these two people look at each other, and in every single picture it's just there and it's so apparent and it's so beautiful and I want what she's having um, so anyway um, but but I think after she does the road take in she's gonna fall in love with us and she's gonna want to come and do it yeah. right that's what's gonna happen yeah. that, that's what's gonna happen that's that's the hope so anyway so let me tell you a little bit about Nancy what and this freaks me out like you know when I go to do the research to to, to do a little introduction Nancy's from the Bronx. I'm a Bronx girl. Nancy's from the Bronx. We're Bronx girls. And she went to the High School of Performing Arts, which I coveted. And I I auditioned for the, the, the High School of Performing Arts. And I did, <laughs> because nobody ever does Juliet. I did Juliet and I did another monologue from Sweet Bird of Youth. But And, and they actually went very well. The problem was that I was getting a D in math. My kids don't even know this. Don't listen to this show. I was getting a D in math. And when they interviewed me, they said, you know, why are you getting a D in math? And I said, well, I don't get along with the teacher. This is not what you say when you're trying to get into a school. That did not cut it. So I did not get in to the high school form, but Nancy did. And um, and then, I mean, then craziness. Her first film, The Last Detail with Jack Nicholson. Hello! I mean, what a place to start. Okay, so then 
uh, the first time I, I remember, I saw The Last Detail, but the, the first time I remember seeing Nancy is in Carrie. Oh, my God. So there she is, the mean girl, with John Travolta. Oh, my God. And then she gets to be in another movie with John Travolta. They do blow out a few years later and and I got to dance with John Travolta a couple weeks ago when when he was so nice but anyway so she did that and then Dress to Kill one of my favorite movies of all time which I just watched again recently because the scene I, I watch it to torture myself the the scene where Angie Dickinson and him get in when they chase each other around the thing and then they they have like the zipless fuck you know the the Erica Zhang they get into the cab and they they never speak they just go for it oh my god is that like the craziest but that's it's an unbelievable movie Nancy's fantastic in that movie and is that the one that, that she was up for yes and she was she earned a Golden Globe nomination for that hello and speaking of awards she was also nominated for saturn best actress awards for the philadelphia experiment and for robocop robocop in all three the whole trilogy trilogy another dozen plus movies followed including poltergeist three plus appearances on television in the commish and i'm just saying that reminds me of Kanish, which after eight days of not eating, I really want one. Judging Amy, Law and Order, Special Victims Unit, just to name a few. She serves, this is this this is the kicker though. She serves as the executive director of We Spark Cancer Support Center. And of her work at We Spark, she has said, That is what I do. That is what my life is dedicated to. I'm there. I run it. I've created the whole program format. I fundraise. It's my life's work. And I just want to say that um, a friend of mine, this is going to make me cry, a friend of mine um, was in a very scary place last year and was diagnosed and went through the whole thing. And um, it, I'm, I'm very grateful to say uh, is in remission and doing fine. But she found We Spark and, um, and it was a tremendous help to her. And she goes back still and, and participates in things. And um, you are such an inspiration. And I am so thrilled to welcome you thank you so much for coming hi nancy nancy hi. allen hi. thank you thank you for inviting me and thank you for that lovely introduction and uh by the way i spent a year in performing arts and i hated it did you oh god all right <laughs> not, only did, not only did i hate it by the end of the year uh, and i was a dance and major I, yeah, I was gonna say that yeah. i didn't know that so okay so tell well um it was not fun at all. Well, I, it, so? it ruined my dancing. It ruined oh. my life in dancing. It just made it all about the grades. And, oh. and, and also, I think, interestingly enough, I discovered that I loved to dance, but I wasn't obsessed. And if you're going to be a dancer, you have to be obsessed. So were you, what kind of dance? What was your, what was your genre? Uh, I liked modern dance, uh -huh. mostly Martha Graham, uh -huh. that kind of style. Anyway, so at the end of the year, they did not invite me back. Ooh! And I didn't tell my parents all summer, and uh, so like two weeks. So you had no high school to go to? I had to? nowhere <gasps> to go, and it was a big drama between my parents. My father didn't want me to go there because it was a public school, and I'd gone to private schools before that. So I very cleverly approached him, and I said, you were so right. Ah! <laughs> you were so right. I hate that school, oh, I and I can't it. go back there. Oh, I and love it. And then it was, you know, it's like, see, Flo, I told you. <laughs> wow. So I manipulated my way out of there. <laughs> we were just talking about that. I was just saying how good I used to be at doing that stuff. Wow. Mm -hmm. and, did you, and did you ever come clean? You have now. <laughs> You know, I, I don't remember if I did or not, wow. but I, it was interesting because that was that really changed the trajectory of my life. Okay, um, so obviously that was exactly what was meant to happen. Mm -hmm. So uh, before we move forward, let's yeah. go back a little bit. So we're in the Bronx. 
196th. 319 East 196th Street. And I think actually when I was born, we lived on uh, Gun Hill Road. So we lived on 196th, which is just off the concourse. Uh-huh. I lived on the concourse. Near, uh, I went to Academy of Mount St. Ursula, a nice little Catholic school, oh. speaking of nuns. Okay. Not so nice. <laughs> um, and uh, then we moved to Yonkers. Mm. And that was interesting. And then as soon as I could, I got out of there. So now, when you, were you going to performing arts? You were living in Yonkers? Did you commute? Um, yes, I wow. did. I actually had to lie. Uh, there's a lot of lying, I guess, in my life. <laughs> this is exactly <laughs> what we were just talking about. I yeah. had to lie. I had to give... Uh, my grandmother at the time lived in the Bronx, so I had to give somebody else's address that right. you had to live in New York City. Right. And I commuted. I commuted an hour, wow. uh, a bus and a subway, and then the New York Central. I'd go back and forth. Uh-huh. And... Um, and when I was 14, I was going to performing arts, and my mother said to me, do not go to Greenwich Village, ever. <laughs> <laughs> so I met, I went immediately to Greenwich Village. <laughs> and I went, these are my people. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. I, I used to get on the subway from Queens. We had moved to Queens, and I would get on the subway at 14 and go, and not come home until like 11 o'clock at night on the subway in the dark. I mean, I don't know how this was happening. My mother let me get away with such things that I just can't even believe it. Yeah, no, day. it is crazy. I remember taking taxis home from New York and getting in a cab with who knows who, <laughs> and it, you know, taking it to Westchester, and you're there you are, you're 15, 16 years old at 11 at night. It's crazy. It is crazy. I but mean, we survived. We did survive. And if my daughter or had tried any of that stuff, she'd be dead right now. So, you know, that was that was just not going to happen. Okay, so so I believe everything happens for a reason. So you you were obviously not meant to dance. You were meant to be an actress. So how how did that how did that transition happen? For, okay, first of all, were you in school plays when you were a kid? Uh well, when in kindergarten, I was in a play called The Land of Dreams Come True. Do you remember your line? No, okay. but I, I had to sing, and oh. uh, there was singing, there was dancing, <laughs> there was everything, and my mother drilled me with those lines. Uh, so there was that, and I think we did Little Women when I was in the eighth grade. Okay. But it, it just it didn't really school, resonate. No? Nope, no, never oh. in high school. And, um, and it wasn't, so, okay, when you're a little girl, what's your dream? Well, I had many dreams. I wanted to be a tightrope walker. I wanted to be a cowgirl. (laughs) Oh, okay, good. (laughs) I did. I mean, I I don't know really many, many things. But I will tell you that I did watch, we had something, I don't know if you remember Million Dollar Movie. Of course. It was on Channel 9, and they'd run movies over and over and over again. And I'd watch them over and over and over. I hated cartoons, so I watched old movies. I loved them. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was (laughs) thinking about this for some bizarre reason whenever I had a friend over uh-huh. or a, a cousin that would come and visit there were uh, curtains in, the, in my brother's room in the window and I would shine a light and I'd say okay so when I come out you go ta-da <laughs> I so I think it. I was preparing but for I didn't know what okay but um so when I left school mm-hmm. I left performing arts I went to a private school when did you start dan- how old were you when you started dancing uh four because I was very oh, wow. shy I wouldn't move away from my mother, so she put me in class so that I would feel a little more independent. Uh-huh. And that was one class, and then two classes. Then it was every single day. It became I went to Bronx House for drama when I was a oh, little girl. Do you remember you? Bronx House? That was in Bell yeah. Parkway, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's how. Okay, so you started dancing young, and obviously you got very good. You got good enough to get into 
performing arts. Mm-hmm. So now you're kicked out, and you're are you still dancing when you get kicked out? I'm still dancing, and I was going to school across the street from Carnegie Hall, and I oh, took wow. classes there, uh, jazz classes there, and also June Taylor with Jaime Rogers and Claude Thompson, and really great jazz mm-hmm. teachers. I transitioned into jazz. I really liked it. But uh, as I said, it kind of killed it for me because I knew I didn't have the you have to have such incredible discipline and uh, passion for Mm -hmm. dancing I just loved it I enjoyed it but I didn't want to work that hard you know I really didn't. Loving it's the first. I, I think yeah. loving it's first, but I agree with you. Yeah, the passion is important. Mm-hmm. A, do you still dance? I don't, and I would, but I have I have a a bad back, mm. so I'm uh, mm. cautious how yeah. I move. Okay, so so at what point does the acting thing start to happen, and how does that happen? Eleventh grade. So okay. I left PA and. 10th grade, 11th grade, I meet, it was a a Quintano school for young professionals. So a lot of the kids, most of the kids that went there were either musicians who were traveling, uh, models, actors, people in soap operas. I think Patty Duke went, there's a whole group of people that Uh went there. And I met a girl who was in my class who said to me, oh, my mother manages teenagers for commercials. You would be great. And I just thinking, I remember thinking, well, uh, I need a summer job. Do they? I said, do they pay you for that? Do, can you make money for that? And she said, oh, yeah. So I said, okay, let me meet her. And that was the beginning of it. And Did uh, you have headshots? I got some. Uh-huh. I got some headshots mm-hmm. and started going out on auditions. But I was still very shy. So as long as they would hand me a piece of paper and it would just say oh the young girl walks in or she eats the candy or whatever it does as a teenager I'd stay if there were lines I'd say excuse me I have to go to the restroom and I would just leave get out of here I'm gonna leave and then finally my manager found out and said can't do that so how'd you get a manager this was my friend in high school was her mother okay she lived in uh you know long island hi doll (laughs) come on in you know it's a very very uh interesting group of people paul jabara i don't know if you know who paul jabara is he wrote well he was uh, an actor at the time he was the original cast of hair but he me too and he wrote um last dance the he became a huge song song, songwriter big hit song with Donna oh. Summer and Barbara Streisand and all those wow. people. But we were in school. He was a couple grades ahead. And, um, you know, so we just all hang out and go on auditions together for commercials. And that was really what was the beginning. Your first, what was your first commercial? First commercial uh, was a soft drink called Wink. It was a, uh, a grapefruit drink. And I was hired as a dancer. Oh. And it was, um, they had a, a band, a guitar, piano, and a drummer, uh-huh. all playing to playback and then a couple of dancers standing there dancing around like go-go dancers kind of thing and uh so the director who was not very nice did not like the young girl who was sitting at the piano so he thrust me into greatness (laughs) and said you sit down at the piano and you start playing and you sing so i that was my first uh, so you sing I didn't sing. You were singing to playback. It was oh, all okay. So you're uh-huh. right. to take a drink of the wink uh-huh. and then start singing and uh, or play, singing uh-huh. to playback. And that was my first commercial. Wow. And and so was it a national? Did you get good money? national commercial. Oh, so they, that's nice. Mm-hmm. So you liked the money. That was liked good. That, that liked, was good. Okay. All right. So now how long are you doing commercials? Wait, when did you get your first line? How did you how did you finally like get your first line in there? Um, what was the first line? That's a good question. Um 
I mean, how did you start auditioning and actually saying well, speaking copy? Well, I just you, had to do. It. You just, you know, had I had. I went to an acting uh-huh. coach. I was afraid to go into a class. I went to an acting coach. She was an incredible coach, and uh, she just practiced. I just read uh, plays, cold read plays, over and over and over again. And That's uh, that, yeah, uh-huh. so yeah, you just had to. And in those days, of course, in the early days of uh, commercials, there were there was no videotape. You'd walk in, and there'd be you know, a table and people sitting around a table from the advertising agency and you'd go and you'd perform it. Right. And they'd look at you, you know, and decide right then and there. The worst, I remember going in for a Playtex bra commercial and there were two of us. It was like big bust and small bust. <laughs> Just looking at your breast, you know, it was oh very God. bizarre. That's horrible. It's horrible. So did you, have you seen, you've seen La La Land? I love it. Oh, I was too. listening to the music on the I, way over I here. I love La La Land. So do, have, did you have any experiences like that where they're ordering their lunch and stuff while you're in there? Uh, no, not really. Uh, mm-hmm. No, I was, very, especially coming out here, I was incredibly fortunate. However, at the in the advent of videotape, oh. I went up for a, um, a toothpaste commercial and I was sitting in a room and they had a camera in front of me and they were in the other room and they were doing a close-up and I had a mole right here. I don't know why I removed it because probably because of this. And um, as they're getting closer, I said, "What? What is that on her mouth? What is that thing?" <laughs> and uh, so I don't know where I was going with that. I don't know where I was going with that. But um, what, what, were, what were we talking uh, about? What, what, what was I just talking say, about? How did I go there? This is my mind. Oh, is so if, any, if anything happened in an audition where it was oh, distracting, that was it. right? So it was very distracting. It was yeah. really embarrassing. Oh yeah, and, that's uh, awful. Yeah, it was horrible. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. So you got rid of the mole. I got rid of my, I changed everything because one of my first commercial experiences was in front of Sybil Trent, who was my friend Juni Prince's mother, who was a big casting director. And and she, I went before, I had a meeting with her because of him. And she said, you're too ethnic. You, you know, my last name was Katz. I had brown hair. And so I literally, like within a week, changed my name and dyed my hair. <laughs> <laughs> and I became, and I've been Vicky Keats with, well, I'm now Abelson, but I was Vicky Keats with blonde hair ever since. But, I mean, because they, they kill us, these people. They, yeah, they take our, it, our. It's terrible. I can, I remember one audition where I, I, I walked in and I, I had material and I, I hated auditioning, really hated it. Who likes it? That's it's, a, it's horrible. Awful. It's so awkward, particularly, particularly television. It's the worst. Film, you have a you have a chance because they want to see if you can work together. Television is just this wall. You walk in and, and <laughs> remember just tell, saying tell us, to the tell writer. Tell us a little bit about this because nobody's talked about this. Oh, it's horrible. Uh, uh, the difference between television and movie auditions. I'm very curious about this. Well, film auditions, they're really, I mean, they're, they're looking for collaboration. Okay. They see what you do and they might say, well, you know, try this. They want to see if you're directable, if you can work together, what your ideas are. Television, and part of it is because they're on, they're such on a, a time, time such right, a right. strong timeline that mm-hmm. they're on. But I will say, even for pilots, the auditioning process is so uncomfortable. You just walk, for me, mm-hmm. you walk into a room, it's a wall of people. Mm-hmm. And they're not smart. Yeah, and they, they, they give I mean, nothing, d- here's yeah. an experience I had. I walked in and it was, uh, I mean, it was a big conference table. There were probably 15 people sitting around. And, and I sat down and I, I started to say, is there anything you'd like to tell me or before I start and I got halfway through the sentence and I heard just do it (gasps) and (laughs) that's very La La Land that 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 was horrible that is awful and another time I said I remember saying you know this is really a wonderful script and they just looked at me and I went okay (laughs) I could feel myself getting redder and redder and by the time 
I, I literally <laughs> was reading with my oh head down. Oh, my God. Thank you. Oh you know, it God. was awful. But it's it's not a user-friendly environment. Um, you know, generally you're dealing with the producers because they are the king right. in television. Not right. the director's just the hired gun to shoot you and wow. you know, do all of that. So it's wow. the producers uh-huh. that are not really... Um, Creatives. They're, yeah, they're, yeah, they're brilliant and creative, but they don't know how to work with actors. They don't even want to work with actors. Right. You know, just you have to come in and be it now. Right. Don't show us anything of who you are. Don't ask any questions. Do it and do it right, and so that you and make us laugh if it's a comedy. Mm-hmm. So um, I've basically can say that I've really never booked anything in that kind of environment because really? I feel so, I felt so unsafe there. Uh, that you can't ask a question, you can't collaborate in any way, and the th- but you you really started in film and worked your way to television when mm-hmm. you probably didn't have to audition anymore. Yeah, correct. Yeah, right. so yeah. yeah, those were basically right. offers. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about your first film audition. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> you start with Jack Nichols. Oh my God. So how does the last detail happen? What 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 was that about? Well, I was living in New York at the time, and Hal Ashby, as like they do on all films, and particularly that one, because they were doing a lot of shooting back east there in New York and Toronto and uh, I think Washington. And, you know, I was just, just auditioning. It was really just a meeting. You mm-hmm. know, I walked in and hello and looked at my pictures and talked with me for a bit. And a few days later, I got a call from my agent saying, uh, they want you for a part in the last detail. And I'm sending the script right over to you. So I went, oh, this is so great. And hadn't read the script, knew uh-huh. nothing about it. So I start reading it and I look at this part. <laughs> and it was not the part I played. It was the part that Carol Kane played, which was the hooker that oh. she's naked oh. and saying, taking his pants saying, let me check you out. And I'm reading this going, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can do this. What's my father going to say? I was just like terrified. How, how old are you? I was, I don't know, 19, 20, so oh, 20, God. 21, maybe even 21. But I just thought, like, how am I going to? I remember Lynn Stallmaster was uh-huh. the casting director. <laughs> I called my agent and said, I can't do this. Just thank you. Tell them thank you, but I can't do this. So, and have you, had you auditioned for other films prior to this? I had, uh-huh, yeah. A I had, uh-huh. uh, yeah, a few things around New York, a few other films. And so the agent called and said, Lynn Stallmaster would like to speak with you. Ooh. So he calls me and said, come on, you know, this is a really great film and it's Hal Ashby and this is a great part. This will launch your career and all of this kind of stuff. And I said, I just don't think I can be naked and act and talk and do any of that at the same time. I just don't think I can do it. So I let it go. And um, then they came back and said, well, how would like you to do something in the film? There's a scene and it's with Jack Nicholson. Because the other now, scene wait was a with minute. Randy what, Quaid. What made them want you? What? What? Why are they coming after you? What What did you I give them in that audition if you didn't? If, did, you, did you read? Did you no. read? So no. what made them want you? I don't know. And this is where it goes back to what you're saying. Everything happens. It's just, it's like... It, this yeah. career was not a planned career. If I if I wind back a few years, when I was out here, uh, well, first of all, when I was 16, I was at a club in New York, and I was, you know, quote, discovered there, and they wanted to fly me out to California to screen oh. test me for the movie. Remember the movie Candy? Of course. Okay. And I didn't want to do it. I was too afraid. Then I was living out who, here. Who was just, it? That Was it a producer or yeah, w- uh, yeah, whatever? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Who knows? Uh-huh. You know, it was through. And then I 
call my agent kind of thing. Anyway, then I was out here in 1969, and I was in a restaurant, a restaurant called Dom's. I don't know if you remember Dom's. And uh, they, someone came up and I was there with my boyfriend and his family and they said, oh, we're making this film. And and I went in and it was on the Paramount lot and I read, it was some little love story. I don't even know what it was, Uh teenagers. And I read and I read something. They said, you know, you're really very good. And I said, oh, thank you very much. And they said, but this is like the main role. Do you think you could, you know, carry a Uh film? (laughs) So Uh I was like, sure. I said, I don't know. <laughs> so I think I left yeah. them a little something to uh, question about my readiness for film. So it, it's almost like it kept a line kept going out to catch me. Like and um, so so I did the last detail. And then. Um, so what, and what was that like working with Jack Nicholson? Terrifying. It was great, but then terrifying. Uh, How so? Well, I got to the set and you know there was a script but pretty much how it was very very loose oh, it was really? just a very loose environment uh-huh. so we just started to improvise and i had a few of the lines and, and um so we did one section of it and it cut and it's everything like, oh my god that was so great that was a wonderful and for whatever reason instead of feeling this is my my shyness my uh-huh. insecurity i felt so embarrassed I remember feeling, I, I just went in. Wow. And fortunately it worked because she's supposed to be very bored with him, so I almost couldn't speak <laughs> anymore. <laughs> and uh, I remember having a, uh, going to lunch and having, I thought, I'm so nervous, mm-hmm. having a couple of glasses of wine, white <laughs> wine with lunch, and coming back and the DP going, what did they do to her makeup? She's very red. <laughs> Redo my my makeup, which was just me, you know, flushed from having had a couple of glasses of wine. So it was interesting. It was interesting in that I could feel it. There was a there was a a buzz on the set that I could feel when I walk in there. And I walked in there and I I I felt at home in the environment, uh-huh. but I just wasn't at home with myself and with my work at that point. So, but it it it. It hooked me in a way that I went back to New York and I did commercials for a few more years. And then one morning I woke up and I said, I, that's it. I'm done. I can't do it. There's nothing more I can sell. I've sold everything. <laughs> and so I'm going to California. And uh, Okay, before you come to California, so how are your parents with this career, with these, with these career decisions? Are they okay you want to be a dancer? Are they okay that you... Want to be an actress? What, what what's going on there? Mother's great. I mean, you're, with you're that. making a lot of money back there. Yeah, my okay. mother's thrilled with it. My father go to school, get an education, become you didn't a go teacher. To didn't go to college. Okay. Get an education, become a teacher. To me, college the way it was promoted to me was getting a teaching degree, and I didn't right. want to Which become I a did. teacher. And you know, well, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, didn't I mean, use it, but, but anyway, yeah. I mean, uh, there's many other things. But at that time, yes. women, that's what they did. That's there was, what they we did. went there and they got that education and. And also, my brother was working on Wall Street. They were trying to think how to get me married. He said, "Come on, I'll, you'll meet a nice broker." One of the the, the you know, it just they were constantly trying to get me to have something to fall back and how, on. All right, now how about that part of your life at this time? So you're you're young, you're successful already. What what's the men's situation like at this point in your life? Well, let's see. I had a boyfriend from sixteen to twenty. Okay, those four years. Uh-huh. When my first boyfriend, we are together for all that time and then 
uh, shortly after that. I dated. I mean, it was the 70s. I dated a lot <laughs> and for a while, and fast and furiously for a couple of years, and went to Europe and traveled around, and then met someone, actually a photographer in New York, and uh, lived with him for a while. Um, not a very nice guy. Mm. Kind of a mean man. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Escaped to California pretty much, and then he followed me out here. So oh, that nice. was, yeah, it was very nice. Oh, that's lovely. Um, so that was the dating. Okay, thing. so now, so now the next thing I know about is Carrie. So mm-hmm. how how does this happen? So wow, I, and I love Betty Buckley. Oh my God, I love Betty. I I only know her Facebook wise, but she's so lovely. She is, and she's a great ta- a great talent. Oh my God, in so yeah. many ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, that I like I said, I woke up one morning and I said, I'm done. I'm leaving for California, and I no plan really. Wow! Uh, I People knew always one... tell us this, but you have money though. You have your own money because you've been making commercials. Not, but I spent oh, it. Oh, but you spent it. <laughs> I didn't have a lot of money. <laughs> Did Just you paying my bills? I mean, it really okay. wasn't a great amount of money, but I had enough to make this trip out uh-huh. here. And I, through my agents in New York, they gave me a name like f- four names of agents to call when i got out here so i'm they'd sent my oh, they weren't bicoastal no okay. and, uh-huh. uh, and they were not theatrical oh right so okay. uh i had these four names uh-huh. and i called the first one i called was a woman uh-huh. now i was 25 uh-huh. at the time i looked probably 18 i right. looked really young yeah so i called you and still she says, do by the way oh, she still does you. for those of you out there Love in listening land. In here. <laughs> um, so i she says, oh, yes, yes, uh, uh-huh. And she said, and how old are you? And I said, 25. She says, forget it. She said, it's all over for you. She said, oh, my, <laughs> oh my God. It's all over oh for you. And uh, she said, you know, if you were a guy, you would be worth my time, the investment of my time. But uh, so you should really forget it. And I said, okay. Oh and my you know, God. it was stuff like that that instead of making me feel bad, it really just pissed me off. And I thought, well, oh my I'll God. show you. You know, that's that's. I said, how you don't even met me. Oh my God! So I got an agent. Oh yeah, yeah. This agent, it's such. I really use the term loosely with him, mm-hmm. and he was an agent. Yeah. But so I moved here in September. So I have this agent. And you're going to you're going to do you're not going to do commercials out here. You're going to do film. I had an you're, agent for commercials, okay. but there really wasn't a lot of commercial uh-huh. work in those days uh-huh. out here. Mm-hmm. I was doing some modeling actually for Robinson's newspaper stuff. Uh-huh. <clears throat> so uh, September goes by, nothing. October, nothing. I kept call, I said call. I said, "Well, don't you need some pictures?" "Nope, I'm out in the field. I'm talking about <laughs> you." <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what he was doing? So uh, it, it got to be November, and I said, "This is ridiculous. I'm you done." Mean you weren't getting any auditions. Nothing. I'm done. I'm done. I can't survive out here. I've got to, at least. I'll go back to New York. I've been here too long. I've wasted two months. I need a job. I need right. to go to work. So I was planning to leave, and I was there was a health club. Health club we called in those <laughs> yes, days. Yes, we did. Called the <laughs> Beverly Hills Health Club for okay. Women, which was on Santa Monica Boulevard, uh-huh. and I was there. And I was coming out of the steam room, and don't I, you tell me you got discovered again? I did. Oh my but god! <laughs> but it was, I want to hang out with you. I want to walk around Hollywood with you, Nancy. <laughs> and I hear Nancy. Is that Nancy? And I turned around, and it was a woman named Harriet Helberg, 
who I'm sorry, but Harriet's a good friend of oh, mine. So I, Harriet, Harriet, Harriet and Sandy, I adore Harriet and Sandy. She's amazing yes. uh, woman, and I knew her from Horn Griner, which was a big commercial house in New ah. York. So I said yes, and so there we are in our towels. It's like, oh hi. <laughs> <laughs> so she said, oh, what are you doing? Do you have an agent? I said yes, and who's your agent? And I told her. She says, oh, that's funny because I talked to him he said he didn't really have anyone oh god <laughs> so she said I'm casting a movie you won't get it but it's <laughs> tomorrow is that's the last day and you can at least meet a director at least that so come over to Culver City pick up the script and you know you can come in and you can read and I said oh that is so great I was so excited right, and your I, first one in three months right uh, yeah, yeah. yeah and this is you know maybe I don't have to go home so uh, I run out to Culver City Studios and pick up the script and run home and read the script and make notes and write a biography of the character and do all this stuff <laughs> and go to read uh, for this film. And um, I was expecting the film director to, well, Hal Ashby was older and commercial directors I'd worked with were younger. So I figured film directors were old because, yeah. they're, you know, they because they're doing this serious stuff. Said, yeah. yeah. So I get there, I'm the last person on the last day to read wow. and down the stairs comes this young man with dark hair and a beard and it was Brian De Palma uh -huh. and I'm thinking well who's that oh this is Brian De Palma oh okay so I read two scenes he's laughing at one of the things I think oh I guess I'm doing a good job I leave and by the time I got home there was a message from Harriet saying they want to screen test you and um, that was the beginning of it that was the beginning of everything. It was. So, okay, so now you get, so you get cast. No, not oh. so quickly. Okay. This is the bumpy part. Okay. So I screen test. Okay. I, John, I did not rehearse with John. I rehearsed. There were two actors tested for each role. PJ Souls. PJ, PJ Souls, Souls yeah. tested for the same oh, part. Uh -huh. We both tested for the same part. John Travolta and Michael Talbot. Uh, tested for the Billy Nolan character, and uh -huh. I had rehearsed with Michael. Oh. And um, I assumed PJ rehearsed with John, which uh -huh. she actually didn't. Oh. And so when we tested, I first tested with Michael. Had and John already done Welcome Back, Connor? Yeah. He uh, had started it. Okay. He was, or was starting But he wasn't like a fame. He wasn't like... No. No. They were just starting yeah, the show. Yeah. It hadn't even... I don't even think it had gone in the air yet. Uh -huh. And um, he walked in to sit down in the, t in the, in the test, and I went, Oh my God, this guy's getting the part. Just looking at him. He's gonna Re definitely getting the part. Wow. And I thought, well, whoever rehearsed with him is getting the part too because obviously right. they rehearsed together. But we had so much chemistry immediately. Wow. It was amazing. Wow. It was just like we sparked. Well, what was he what was he like back then? Adorable. Yeah. Very sweet. Adorable, adorable now. Yeah. Yeah. Adorable, funny, uh, -huh. uh very um supportive and kind it was just a lot of fun yeah, we had yeah. so much fun oh god yeah okay so we tested and uh that was on a thursday and monday about mm, i guess it was about seven o'clock my phone rings and i answer it and it's harriet helberg guest appearance from Harriet Helberg in my house <laughs> and saying Nancy she's whispering the phone, Nancy they're looking at the test they love you you're gonna get the part I'm like oh my, oh, god, my god. oh my god so I get off the phone I call my mother mom I got a big part in a movie and all of this so the next morning I wake up and I'm gonna go for champagne breakfast of course <laughs> with spend friend some money yes friend <laughs> and the phone rings and it's Harriet I go hi Harriet <laughs> she said uh Nancy, um, you know, they love you, but the producer just 
feels that maybe you're too that you just look too sweet and they want to look at other actors and i went and out of my mouth came but i told my mother (laughs) oh i so relate to that like are you gonna call her (laughs) i so relate to that oh my god so that was in november and so they put me on hold for the norma part which is the part that pj did right Uh uh-huh which so November, December, oh wow, January, <gasps> oh my <laughs> end gosh. of January, I get a call inviting me to a screening of Obsession. I get to Obsession, the screening of Brian's movie, which is before Carrie. Uh-huh. Amy Irving's there, John Travolta. I was going to say, Kat. was Amy Irving already with Sp- Steven Spielberg during no. this? No, no, okay, no. Uh, Billy, uh-huh. uh, all the main uh-huh. characters are there, and in the in the soon to be Carrie. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. we were just seeing at the screening, right, right. and at the end, everyone's saying, "Well, I guess we all got the parts," and I said, "Well." I didn't. And I said, but they've cast me in something else. And they said, well, what part? And I said, well, she's called Norma. And everyone's going, Norma, Norma, where is she in the (laughs) script? Who is that character? (laughs) So I was just heartbroken. And then the following day, Harry called and said, Brian wants to see you. I went over to read again. And at the end, he said, I just want to tell you, I'm offering you the part. We're offering you the part. And it's a funny thing. You would think I would have been like so happy. And and it was just like, oh, okay, good. It was anticlimactic in a strange way. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now the filming of that. I mean, so many of you went on to huge career. I mean, it's just amazing who was in that movie. So what what was Sissy like back in those? I mean, Sissy like scares the fuck out of me when I watch that movie you know her and, and Piper Laurie are just oh. st- what a team of scariness that is but and, and you were really scary but so so you're doing all this intense stuff on film what's it like when you're when it's not rolling are, are you guys laughing are you having fun are you being serious what, what's the set like well um you know in the beginning uh, all the girls were really close we were just a, just the whole ensemble was really close and we had a lot of fun together and Sissy stayed apart from uh-huh. everyone. She made a choice to do that until we got to the prom, so she would feel what it would feel like to be, you right. know, a separate from. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, John and I just had a ball. <laughs> we thought we were the comic relief. We didn't realize well, everyone were, was going to hate us. But you <laughs> were the, you, 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 you. We did hate you, but you were the comic relief as well. well. In a way, yeah. we were. And um, and uh, really. We had a blast. Uh, everybody was very supportive. Uh, whoever was shooting would be there that day to support each other. It was what about wonderful. that bathroom? What about that? Like wow, that tampon scene. Like that what, was horrible. That, like, what was that? I, I, wow, because that was such an. Ugh. That was horrible. We were sitting in our robes uh-huh. uh, outside of the set, uh, outside waiting to go into the shower for six hours while they, they were shooting Sissy for six hours. Oh my god! Uh, and so Naked. we're just sitting there. I have a great picture that I have a snapshot. I've actually posted it uh, online of all of us just sitting there in our rows <laughs> waiting. You know, and everyone's getting more and more and more nervous. And we went in and did the shower, that first shower scene, and it was easier than the tampon yeah. scene when we got to the tampon scene do you guys know, okay for those of you who don't know the scene in carrie it, she starts to play and they throw tampons at i mean it's like mean girl to the gazillionth degree yeah we just make fun of her it's like norma carrie's had a period <laughs> we just start throwing, throwing tampons, tampons and at all her. so what and, she, and carrie doesn't know what it is she doesn't know what the blood is so it's like terrifying on all levels yeah she thinks she's dying so um it really 
it took over everyone. You just started to feel like a mob mentality, and you get yeah. caught up in this thing. And everybody was really shaking and upset wow. afterwards. I so bet. it was it was it was difficult. Yeah, yeah, very intense. So, was that a wrap after that for the day? Oh, I'm sure it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And then they shot the stuff with Sissy and uh, and uh, Betty. Uh huh. Okay, so so you're making this movie. Do you have any clue what's going to happen? Because what has happened to Carrie is just, do you have any sense that that's going to happen? Well, you have a sense because we were able to see the dailies. You could see the dailies and see that all the scenes were working. Every The chemistry was there. Everything was, I mean, it was rough footage. Nothing was cut together, right. but it was good. Yeah. And um, But to think that we had our 40th anniversary <sighs> last year, that I did more interviews last year than I think when we opened and wow. television and press all over the world and uh i mean it's just who knew you yeah. know who knew yeah. i mean it's, it's when just... did you know when did you know that it was that you were in a monster hit well i didn't know i think i knew it was a good movie when i saw it for the first time okay. the first screening at mgm i uh-huh. mean it was just like you could feel the audience was just and this is this the was ending, a... the ending of that movie is one of the best endings in <laughs> cinematic history which was not in the script Get out of here. No, no, it was not in the script. And uh, Brian rewrote it. And at the I'm end, the last bumps. day of shooting, we see Sissy standing there with her arm and some rocks. And it just nobody really knew what oh. was going on uh-huh. with all of that. And uh, uh, until we went to the screening. Wow. And the whole audience levitated <laughs> in the MGM screening room. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Okay, so now, okay, so you've done that. And now, when do you and Brian fall in love? How does that happen? Uh, that we wrapped in April, I think it was the beginning of April, and um, he invited, he said, if anyone's in New York, you know, you're free to call and come visit the editing room with Paul and I, and we'll show you a scene in progress. And so the end of May, I was in New York visiting my mother, and I thought, I wonder if I should call. So I, I called. Did you, okay, wait, let, t- let's, let's, let's bear truth mm-hmm. here. Did you have a crush on him from the first time you saw him coming down the stairs? No. Did you grow to have a crush on him while you were watching him direct? Um, hmm. I don't think so. No. I don't think I had a crush. Okay. But I, we had a, we had a, a rapport. We did. We had a mm-hmm. rapport. I called him a mind fucker one day. I don't really? think he liked that. <laughs> was, In fact, he was really pissed off. Was, was it sparky? Did you guys flirt on set? No. Really? No, wow. uh, not at all. But John, this is where John comes into play. Okay. We all, we were shooting the end scene, the, the scene with the car flip, that scene, and, um, uh, we were having dinner. The three of us were having dinner on the set. And when Brian walked away, John said, he likes you. And I said, oh, what are you talking about? He says, no, I can tell. You'll see. Wow. So John spotted it. John wow. spotted it. So I I called Brian. I said, oh, I'm in New York and I'm leaving tomorrow. And uh, oh, come on over. Come on over to the editing room. And I got there and there was a picture of John and I up on the wall in the editing room and he showed us, showed me the scene and then he said, would you like to go to dinner? And I said, sure. So we went up to Victor's Cuban Cafe. Oh, I know Victor's, yeah. (laughs) Up on the Upper West Side Uh and had some margaritas and, uh, not margarita, uh, sangria. Uh And the rest is history. (laughs) And the rest is history. Wow. Okay. All right. So you finish uh, Carrie. Dressed to Kill is next. Is Dress to Kill next? I want to hold your hand. That's Steven Spielberg. Is that produced? Co- uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Bob Zemeckis' first movie. Wow. 
And, and what was that experience like? Fantastic. I mean, he was uh, very young. He was 26 years old. Wow. Looked like an office boy. In <laughs> fact, I ran into him in the hallway at the audition, uh-huh. the casting, and he said, oh, I loved you and Carrie. And I said, thank you so much. And then went off to the uh, to sign in for the audition, and I walked in, and He's Sally Dunn said, this is the director. I said, you're the director. <laughs> oh, my God. But it was very clear very quickly that this guy really knew what he was doing and had a tremendous talent. He knew exactly what he wanted. We had a ball shooting that film. It was a wonderful script. Uh, the movie got, I would say, 95% across the board, across the country, rave reviews. Uh-huh. But it was opened very badly by Universal, so it tanked. Wow. Yeah, it was really Has that tragic. Is that available on, on DVD or anything? It's not, but I think they're working on something because it hasn't been... Um, I didn't see it, so oh, I, it's I, adorable. Uh, oh, it's okay. so cute. Who's, Wendy who's Jones. The male, who's the male star? Uh, well, Bobby DiCicco, Eddie Deason is in it, and um, I'm trying to think, is there anyone else? No, that's basically mm-hmm. it. Okay. Yeah, so. I'd like, like to see it. It's cute. It's cute. I play the really probably the girl who was most like me when I was 14 years old. Oh, wow. Their girls are trying to get in to see the Beatles and, and being a cop's daughter, oh. uh, anything that we were doing, I'd say, oh, I don't know, we could get in trouble. Is this a bad idea? <laughs> this is, you know, really Very you. spoiled okay. sport. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, so. cool. Okay, so now, so Dress to Kill, so how, so what's that like? What You're married to Brian already at this yeah. point. Yeah, so yeah, so did I, I want to hold your hand and then I guess we had, Brian and I had broken up. We got back together. And then I, oh, I went off to do 1941. Oh, oh, no, we did home movies together. Home movies was a little project that Brian had developed. So we did that. We broke up. I went back to California. I did 1941. And then. How um, was that? What was that set like? <laughs> well, let's say it was 1977-78. There was a lot of drugging going on there. There oh. was nothing but that. I mean, we we did six weeks straight of night shooting. Wow. So they had trailer after trailer after trailer lined up, and you know, I remember the first day on the set. Uh, first day on the set, night shooting. Someone said to me, "If you have any coke, don't give it to Belushi," because I just gave him a little bit, and he did my whole stash. So that's what it was like. But we had fun. You know, we had a lot of fun. But it went on. It went on and on and on and on and on for what was supposed to be fourteen weeks. It went on for six months. Oh, so it was a long shoot. Wow, wow, yeah. Um, and you uh, didn't feel like you, you couldn't really you sense what was sense happening. Yeah, yeah. Um. Were you drugging? Were you a drug? In that time, was that? Uh, I mean, because who wasn't? Yeah, then? I mean, yeah. it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, it was very open. It was on the sets, and mm-hmm. you know, people would say cocaine. It's like, well, it's like having a cup of coffee, and that's uh, how what, people what would year refer was to that? it. Seventy-seven, seventy-eight. Because at my wedding, my first wedding in nineteen eighty, mm-hmm. everybody in the entire place except my grandmother was doing coke. <laughs> my mother and my stepfather, who are not dr- were not druggers at all, mm-hmm. they were in the bathroom. I mean, like everybody was doing coke because that's just what you did. That's what you did. That's what you did. That's right. It was just, I was so skinny. Oh, my God. Anyway, the only time I've ever been thin. And, of course, I thought I was fat. But anyway, okay, so so now, so so now, okay, so how does Dress to Kill happen? Well, uh, I started shooting 1941, and Brian came out to California, and we got back together again, and we talked about getting married, got married while I was shooting the film, 1941. And, um... I was living in the Chateau Marmont, which was great, and he was back in New York, and we'd he'd call, he'd read me. He was writing something at the time, so uh-huh. he's reading me pages of things he was writing. This is a scene I wrote this morning, and I'm 
thinking, this is this is really good. And I arrive home in New York, and he said, I finished it. And he reads me the last um, four or five scenes. I said, this is a really good movie. And I of can course, see he, wrote, it. he wrote that part with you in mind, of course. He did. He said, it's I'm glad phenomenal. you like it because <laughs> I wrote this for you. And wow. I said, wow, this is really great. That's yeah. so fantastic. Yeah. And, and so how much... How much of you was in there? Um, well, I've never been a hooker. Right. Or a call girl. <laughs> um, I think but that... were there aspects of you in there? Here's the part of me that I brought to it. Okay. I like, I have a belief that everybody has to have a hope, a dream, a something. Yes. And, um, you know, the idea, we talked about the idea that, you know, she's doing this for some other purpose. You know, she was trying to make money and she was really a businesswoman so that's the piece that she was she was very materialistic and wanted to build her life and okay. be secure and be independent what sign are you i'm a cancer i'm a little cancer girl a little, a little cancer, home girl. cancer a little, girl a little cancer girl but he, who like likes the money and the everything to be well the security okay right security right, right independent right. i was very independent i never wanted to be dependent on anyone okay that was the way i my father complained so much about money. I thought, I'm not going to be a burden to anybody. Wow. You know, uh, no one's going to complain about me. Uh-huh. So that's how I... And so what What was that set like? Michael Caine. Oh, my God. What What was that like? That's Michael like a Caine. master class in, in act. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's... He is absolutely a dreamboat. And uh, I he made me feel very comfortable right away. In the scene... Is he intimidating? No. Really? No. Oh. I mean, it is when you think it's Michael Caine. Right, right. But he's he's charming, and he's very funny uh, and very professional. Most of the English actors are very professional. Except for Peter O'Toole, who I, oh, well, I worshipped, but um, yeah. Drinking, slight drinking problem. Just a slight. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but Michael, not so much, and I was he was very generous. When I did the scene where I'm walking around his office and telling the dream and all of that, uh, it was so tight in there. Brian said, "Why don't you, why don't you go relax, Michael? We'll get this footage on Nancy." Because he was really just saying, "Uh huh," and uh -huh. off-camera lines like that. And he said, "No, I'll stay because she'll feel my presence here, even Ooh. if she can't see me." So that's yeah, that's, that's who he is. That's very generous. Yeah, very generous. That's lovely. And so, did you know when you were making that movie that this was going to be just crazy, fantastic? Could you could you tell? I know it was, yeah, you can you always, can tell. Tell, you can tell when you it's going to be a movie, when it's going to be a good movie, you can tell, you can. you can feel it, there's a certain feeling on the set, everything's working, it's like a well-oiled machine, and can it just sort of Can you give me moves. an example of something that you had the opposite feeling doing? Uh, sure, um, Robocop 2. Ah, all right, well, let's talk about Robocop 1 first. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what was that experience like? Unbelievable. Verhoeven, mad genius. Yeah. Adore him. Uh, the first days, dailies that I saw were of... John's a huge Robocop fan. He was so excited that you were coming because <laughs> we were talking Robocop, yeah. It's going to be the 30th anniversary this year, Wow. actually. Um, did we skip blow up? Blowout? Mm -hmm. We did. Okay, yeah. we'll, we'll have to go circle back. Circle back around. We'll, we'll circle back. Uh, yeah. I mean, I saw the footage uh, when they had the paramedics are trying to revive him. That's the first footage that I saw, that anybody saw. And I thought, oh, my God, this is going to be amazing. And the set, there were banks of um, fluorescent lights 
So, which is not very flattering, but right. it was really right and uh-huh. uh, for the right look for the movie. And uh, Yosef Akano used a certain camera, like a Steadicam, but uh-huh. he had created it and made the gyro himself. So we could move. We could do anything. We could go anywhere, do anything. So there was a tremendous sense of freedom wow. and energy. Things just moved. It moved, just like the film. That was the, uh-huh. the feeling on the set. Wow. Until Peter got in the suit, until he got in the RoboCop suit, and which he was supposed then, to then have. it was technically difficult, so things couldn't move at the same well it was the first day he was supposed to have the suit he was supposed to have the suit two weeks before shooting he didn't get the suit into the shooting until a week into shooting it took them 10 hours to get a minute so i thought either they're going to shut us down or we're going to be here for the next two years trying to figure this out but they got it down to a science and we we moved it along but it was it was difficult wow okay so now why was it different on on robocop 2 the director, oh. the script and script, uh, the original script. Tim Hunter, who directed *River's Edge*, which is a great Fantastic movie, and I, what I heard he was doing. I said, "This is the perfect director right. for this movie to take over." Read the script, met with him, amazing, loved him, and somehow he had some sort of falling out with the studio, mm. and in comes Irvin Kershner, who was a miserable human being. I hated him. He was very mean to me. And he threw out the script and just started changing everything. And everything that's missing from the movie was really in the script. And it was really, it's really hard. I I don't even, I saw it once. So then what brought you back for RoboCop 3? The fans, the money, you know, it's like everybody's writing. There was such a following for this role. And um, how was that experience? Was that any better? It was okay. You know, it wasn't Uh a very good script. Uh And I knew they were going to, you know, they're bringing me back to just to kill the character. (laughs) And uh, I knew I had a premonition. I had a premonition. Really? Oh, yeah. I had a premonition that they wanted to meet and talk to me. And. And uh, and and they tried to make it PG. It just wasn't RoboCop. It was just goofy. Yeah. I don't know what they were doing with that one. Okay, so let's go back to Blowout. How did what, what was that? What was that? What was that set like? Well, I mean, that, another genius film, just brilliant. Well, that's, and working with John again. So mm-hmm. now, is it, so now John's a big star now. Mm-hmm. And is he different? John was not even on the list for this film. It was a really small film. People like uh, Richard Dreyfuss, Jimmy Woods. Uh, uh, John Hurd. It was supposed to be a more a more cerebral right. kind of actor, uh-huh. and a little bit older. And the woman was, you know, older. They were they were just kind of broken down old has been type <laughs> people, right. you know. Right. And uh, so, uh, I'm pr- doing press for Dress to Kill, uh-huh. and I, John calls Brian, and Brian says to me, "Oh, John called and asked me what I was working on, and you know, he wanted to read the script." And I said, "Well, what are you going to do if he likes it?" And he said, oh, he's going to, he'll know it's not for him. And I said, I don't know. If I were him and I read it, I might want to play that part. Uh-huh. And that's exactly what happened. And uh, he, Brian called me. I think it was in Paris. And he says, well, John wants to do the movie. And I said, oh, boy. I said, you're in it now, basically. And he said, well, uh, I asked him who he wanted to do the movie with, who uh-huh. he saw himself working with. And he said he would love to work with you again. And I said, oh. Oh, he said, so what do you think now? I said, I think it's a great idea. (laughs) Yeah. So it was phenomenal. I was very nervous to see him again because he had done Grease and he had done um, Saturday Night Fever. Then he did a series of... The, Staying Alive the, the, and all Lily, that. No, the Lily oh. Tomlin movie. Staying oh, Alive yeah, yeah, was yeah. after Blowout. All of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. There's like three yeah. films and he wasn't happy. Right. And uh, Oh, so he, 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 he wants a movie that's going to be... He needs some, a hit. He's he looking needs for a hit. hit. Yeah. So uh, he arrives at, at our place in New York for the first rehearsal and two minutes 
after he walked in the door, we were back at it, and improvising, working. No, yeah. no, it was amazing. Let's order a pizza. Yeah. <laughs> and he's still gorgeous and, mm-hmm. and phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so you go through all of that and your marriage. Well, he kills me. I die in the movie. That should have been a tip <laughs> off. I should have known he was getting ready to dispose of me. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and he started on Scar- Scarface. Blowout came out and was not a hit. It's become. Really? It was not a hit. And I saw, uh, it, I saw it first run. I loved it when I saw it. Well, critics, critics, people loved it or hated it. And uh-huh. there were a lot of the great critics really loved it and did a lot of writing about it. And it was really well received in that way. But across the board, it did not do well. It was huh. not a summer. It was never meant to be a summer picture. It was supposed right. to be a fall release. Uh-huh. And they had John Travolta. And it's just it's not a popcorn movie. It's right. just not. Right. So um, Brian was really depressed and. Anyhow, long story short is he ended up on Scarface. And um, I think the combination of him, the the failure of the film, I lost, I had a, an ectopic pregnancy, I lost oh, a baby. Uh, and then he couldn't seem to move any anything. And then finally Scarface came to him. Uh-huh. And um, it was kind of, you know, that, I, I really feel like that, it was the interesting thing. Because I remember him asking me, he said, you know, I've never done any of that, that, white powder that you use from time to time because I just dabbled in it and maybe I should see what it's like Uh-oh. to before I do the movie and um oh no so we did you know we got high a little bit together and basically he I could see him changing uh-huh. and uh I think that that certainly played a role sure I think it would have ended anyway but it definitely moved things along yeah so uh that's yeah. Pretty much in the middle of that film, I went back to New York. We filed, and that was that was that. Okay, so so that happened, you know. And I did not know until I read your bio that you were also married to our friend Craig Shoemaker, which I did not know. So how did that happen? Very fast. Oh yeah, <laughs> it was a whirlwind, to quote his mother. And <laughs> did she like you? Yeah, oh, I liked okay. her too. Okay, I liked good. his sister Anne, very nice. Um, but it, we, you know, it, fast, furious, proposed got married, planned a wedding, planned a party, uh-huh. and after about a year said, well, this is, yeah. How did your worlds, how did you How did you meet each other? Because he's from a very different world. I met him, a friend of mine was an executive at one of the studios, and she called me one day, and she said, oh, you know, are you dating anyone? And I said, no. And she said, oh, there's a really nice guy, Craig Shoemaker, and, you know, she said, well, what does he do? He's a comedian. I said, forget it. <laughs> So she said, well, no, 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 but he's an actor. I said, forget it. And she said, well, he actually owns, he's from Philadelphia, he owns an advertising agency ah. there with his friends. So I thought, oh, well, maybe this is just a guy who's has business, and I start creating fantasy around it. And uh, so I said, okay, I'll meet him, and we have lunch, and have like a two-hour lunch talking to each other. And and uh, it was, like I said, just a whirlwind. Oh, dear. Okay, so now you're you're... You have to do a bunch of movies, Poster Price 3, and you do a whole bunch of movies. And how do you transition from movies to television? What, what, what's going on there? Um, let's see. How did that go? I think it was simply an offer. I think the first thing that came in, there was uh, um, it was a, actually a film company that they were doing, um, was it not Twilight Zones, but Outer Limits, or what? You know, one right, of those. Right, uh-huh. They were bringing them back, and they pitched something to me, and I went off and did that. And then all these offers came in. That came in, and then the commission came in, and then something else. It oh, was Kanish. like three I of them. I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I 
crazy. Stop. <laughs> no. um, um, something else, and uh, that's basically and they how were did just you feel about doing television. I mean, when you didn't have to audition, mm-hmm. you were just doing actual television. How mm-hmm. how how does that compare for you? Like, how did did you enjoy television? Well, I enjoyed the ones that I did. Uh-huh. Uh, I really did. Uh-huh. I was lucky. There were good roles. I worked with terrific people, and um, just going to work. It was great. I liked it. It's fast. You're done. You know, week you're done. Right, right. Moving on. Okay, so now you do that all of that, and so in the last few years, your focus has kind of shifted. So h- how did your focus shift? What happened? The last 15 years. Fift- wow, it's been 15 years? 15 years. Oh, my God. Okay, yeah. so what happened? Why did your focus shift? Uh, I think Wendy, well, Wendy Jo Sperber, who is the, uh, an actress that I'd done I Want to Hold Your Hand With in 1941, was diagnosed with cancer, and um, she... Breast cancer? Breast cancer. She had two young children at the time, and mm-hmm. she lived in... Sherman Oaks, and there was no place in Los Angeles to take her children for support. They were seven and ten, and she realized it was affecting everyone in her family, all of her friends, her entire community. But um, so she wanted to give back to uh, the community, and she first approached me as a celebrity to be a celebrity golfer to help her raise money. So I did that. And about a year later, she contacted me and said, I found this place and you have to come over here right away, And I, which I did. And she said, you need to help me. I know you're into all the woo-woo stuff. You know, you can help me with this. I had no idea what, what she was is the, talking about. What does the woo-woo stuff mean? Well, it started with yoga. I mean, that's not hardly that woo-woo, but, you know, to her it was woo-woo. <laughs> yoga and, um, you know, acupuncture, all of the sort of interesting uh, modalities, uh, integrative modalities for healing and uh-huh. and spiritual spiritual alignment uh, kind of things. So um, that's how I got involved. And I found myself just going to volunteer each day. And we'd brainstorm about the things that we could do. And I felt so good when I'd leave there. And it's like something, something was, I could feel it. Something was happening. Something was changing. And, and to be honest with you, I wasn't, I wasn't happy with my career. Ah. I had had a, an amazing career. Yeah. And I didn't like the scripts that were coming to me. I was just, I was going to work. There's nothing wrong with going mm-hmm. to work, but. You didn't have passion for it. It was, it just wasn't there. Mm-hmm. So. I had been praying, really. I thought, what am I going to do? I'm, you know, in the middle of my life. I have no education. I have absolutely no skills. I've done nothing except act since I was a teenager. How old are you when you're having this? this Probably around 50. Uh Uh-huh. And um, what the hell's to to become of me, you know? (laughs) And uh, Did you save money? Did you sock money? I had had some, but not that I could live for the rest of my life. Uh And and you know, I was going to work, but I just, I really was like a spiritual crisis. It was a midlife crisis. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, I just didn't care. I didn't really want to do it anymore. It wasn't fun. And um, I remember seeing this, um, you know, anything about the Church of Religious Science? <laughs> my mother was, Not yes. to be confused with Scientology. No, my it's mother was Science of Mind. And yes, yeah, which yeah. is the power of positive thinking. My yeah, mother yeah. was all about that when I was little, yeah. So there was a, a minister that I met, a really great guy, and I said to him, what's to become of me? I have no <laughs> skills. I have no this. I have no... And he said, no, 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 that's not accurate. He said, every individual has a set of unique gifts, talents, and abilities Nobody has your package. Nobody has exactly what you have. They may have this or this, but everybody's here for a purpose. So he said, your prayer is to just every day, thank God for your unique gifts, talents, and abilities, and ask to be shown how to use them to fulfill your life and be of service. Oh, I love this. Yeah, it's Uh great. So I did it, I did it, I did it. And then- How long did you do it? 
Oh God, forever. You know, like least, years, months. Uh, you know, six months, ten six, months. I okay. don't know, however long. And I, I've been saying Wendy. the same prayers for like sixteen years. She thinks this is a long time. <laughs> six months. What are you? What are you kidding me? I'm still. I'm still saying the prayers. I'm still waiting. <laughs> well, you're doing a lot. No. Uh, so anyway, um, I ended up with Wendy. But the other piece of this little piece of this puzzle, how I ended up doing this and realizing that I it was actually a plan that I had. I wanted to open open. A place for women. I wanted to call it a spiritual day spa, basically, where uh-huh. you could have some of the fluffy stuff. Uh-huh. But basically, you'd have you'd have yoga, you'd have meditation, you'd have incredible um, women who had written books like Julia Cameron and different uh-huh. different people like that. It would come in and speak and and inspire wow. women. I love it. A place where you could go as a respite during the day. And um, but I didn't know how to raise the money. So all those years later, that was in the early 90s, those many years later, around 2001, when this opened, I was a few years into this work that we're doing there, and I realized, oh my God, this, this is, is it. This is, it. <laughs> this is what you wanted to do. So, so you created your, your reality. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's like the all things conspired. You I sp- yeah. yeah, yeah. You manifested your, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, okay, and so I assume that it's still feeding you um, yes. spiritually. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you, uh, do you do anything on the side? Do you long to, do you want to go back? Do you get offers? Are you still thinking about, I mean, it, it, how much does that pull you? Does it pull you at all? It doesn't pull me. It It would take something really special Uh for me to go back, uh, to do something because, uh, it's really hard. It's really hard work. Yeah. And, um, it's, it's like, I remember doing going off when we were first few years when uh we opened we spark and i did a few things and i remember being on the set and sitting you know you're like you're sitting in a box and waiting and you know dressing room waiting to go out and do a few lines i remember sitting there thinking i could be doing something i'm just mm. sitting here doing nothing i felt trapped well, so basically. what's your day like at we spark like what what is it what does that look like for you Every day is really different. Yeah. I mean, I want to go. I have a program director who's mm-hmm. extraordinary now. I'll go in and meet with her and see what she's doing. All very exciting things. A lot of fundraising. You know, we do a lot of fundraising, a lot of Don't fun you events. you hate asking for money? I, I hate asking oh for money. Oh, my God. I, I hate asking for anything. Like, mm-hmm. all I do is ask people to do stuff. I hate it. I hate it, too. But I have a really great development person, and she says, you're not asking. You're giving people the opportunity to support Ooh. something. I like that. Ooh, that's me. really. All right. Here's our takeaway. Giving people the opportunity opportunity to louise would you please write this down <laughs> giving sure. people because i'm going to forget later we do a takeaway after you leave give people the opportunity to support something i love that yeah we are recording and oh people- <laughs> right, but, right but, we ne- but we never think to listen back <laughs> so it's great and people do people do like but you know it's it's kind of like you're on your knees either begging <sighs> for things yes. or thanking people for things that's yes. part of it but we have Wendy's philosophy with, with fundraising was fundraising was feed them and make it fun, and that's, that's what great. we do. We have a Jason Alexander poker tournament which is coming Fabulous. up next weekend, and we do a comedy event every year. Large. And Craig Shoemaker does he come and perform for you? He did at the uh-huh. first one, uh-huh. but uh, yeah, we have different Alonzo, you know Alonzo Bowden, and we had Ray Romano and Kevin Nealon. And Fabulous. one of my favorites is uh, Wendy Liebman. I just oh, when, Wendy did the show. She I, I walks love on Wendy. water. I love her. <laughs> yeah, Wendy's I just. Fabulous. Love her. 
So, yeah, we make it fun. We have a lot of good, really a lot of fun. Okay, so the last thing I want to ask you about, well, I have two more things. One is, so there's love in your life, and I, it's so evident that it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So at what, at what time, how did this happen in your life, and when did that happen, and how, how did you meet? Well, we met through, actually, uh, poker is part of it, because mm-hmm. I, wasn't, I hadn't been seeing anyone for 10 years. A couple of dates here and there, but I, my, the men in my life, my choices were so bad. I thought, I think this is an area, I'm just going to put that over here for now and not pay attention to it. Oh, God, it's, yes. Because it's, it's, it's not, not good for me. Yeah. So this particular guy had come to poker through a really old girlfriend of mine, and he brought some people to poker. And I got a call from him after he'd come to the tournament of three years or so. How long and, ago was this? Uh, a year and a half mm-hmm. ago. And he leaves a message saying something about lunch. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, it's interesting. He's calling poker six months away. I wonder why he's calling now. I mean, just nothing. Right. And so it's kind of a hassle. And I'm trying to figure out, it's like, well, you know, you want to keep the supporter, but I don't really have time for this. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. And you didn't have a sense that it was a date? No, uh-huh. I wasn't thinking about it. Okay. So he, I kept putting it off and not calling back. And he finally left a message, said, look, you know, if, lunch is too hard we could always do it friday night for dinner and i went oh ah. this is not business <laughs> you know and then i tried to figure out how do i get rid of this guy <laughs> <laughs> how do i get rid of this still guy? still working on that one huh? <laughs> how do we get rid of this guy but kill, st- still keep his support <laughs> so i i thought of everything he left a message for me. he said if, look if you want to reschedule i thought reschedule that's what i'll do i'll reschedule <laughs> But then at the same time, that voice in my head said, just get it over with. <laughs> so I showed up for dinner. He kept saying, I'll pick you up. I said, no, no, that's okay. I'll meet you. Where do you want to go? Granville. I kept picking Granville because it's so noisy in there. I didn't want oh, any place. I was place. to meet somebody it's there. Okay. not intimate, you know. Okay. Anyway, so I walk up to the hostess station. This is after I parked behind CVS drugstore for 15 minutes going, why am I doing this? What am I going over there for? What a waste of my time. Oh my God. So I walk in and it was like I saw him for the first time. We said hi. And I looked at me smiling. I thought, I I think I felt something. Wow. I went, oh no, this isn't good. (laughs) This is not good. So we sit down to dinner and I'm sitting there and in my mind I'm thinking, get a hold of yourself. You know, get a hold of yourself. (laughs) You don't even know who he is. And out of my mouth comes, I don't even know who you are. (laughs) (laughs) And he looks at me. So we just, you know, we we talked and we got along and he's... um, I feel like we both escaped show business. He was an executive producer and writer on The Jeffersons for a few years back when worked with Norman Lear and, you know, television world. Uh One of those producers that I didn't like (laughs) in addition rooms. Uh I was a page on The Jeffersons. Oh, oh, you're kidding. So do you know? I mean, maybe you know. Jay Moriarty? Yes. Okay. I remember. Okay. And his partner, Mike Milligan. Anyhow, so... Mike Milligan. They were writing partners. So that's how it started. And uh, he lives in Hermosa Beach. I live up here. Oh. So uh, things were like that. We just sort of get along and have a really good time. It's a year and a half now. That's fabulous. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice. He's a nice man. This is my first really nice man. Isn't that wonderful? You give me hope, Nancy. Yeah. Give me hope. But you know, it's not perfect. Let me just nothing, tell you. Nothing He's is perfect. very nothing. much a man. Well, <laughs> nothing know? is perfect. There, no. There's no such thing as perfection. It's finding mm-hmm. the person that their stuff and your stuff goes together the best. Absolutely. Right? That's absolutely right. Yeah. And I have to be careful. I mean, my history has been 
really uh, not nice men progressively getting worse and worse and worse Hello. as it goes. Yeah. And uh, so I didn't trust myself anymore. So in this this with this guy, I have to really be had to really be careful to not put him up here on mm-hmm. a pedestal because he really did sweep me off my feet. Aww. And uh, you know, and then we get goofy and then we forget that yeah. we can't make anyone our higher power, that yeah. we have to be on a level playing field. So that's where I am today. I... He's off that pedestal. He's right here. <laughs> I'm maybe a little bit here. <laughs> that's a good place to be, though. That's a very good place to be. Okay, so I have one last question for you that I ask every uh, every week. Do you have a guilty pleasure, Nancy? Is there anything that you watch, do, listen to, enjoy that you hope nobody like is watching that you do it? Is there? Any, I, I ask this question to hum. You know, I I, I I I'm interviewing my heroes, people that have managed to do what I aspire to, what a lot of us do, which is live your dream. Mm-hmm. And so this is sort of a humbling. Um, is there, is there anything? You got anything? <laughs> well, it used to be sumo wrestling. Sumo wrestling? <laughs> Not no. anymore. I've moved on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it no is kidding. Basically, I am obsessed with investigation, discovery, and dateline, and 48 hours. I love all things having to do with murder and crime. Hey, did you watch and The Fall? I did. Yes. Oh. Yes. The ki- and The Killing? <laughs> the, the, the Fall, to me, that first season probably the most terrifying thing I've ever watched in my my, life. It's my favorite television show, I think, ever. Fantastic. But I like true crime. But you like true crime. I don't know, I love all of it, but I love true true crime, and I think part of that is, you know, it's in my DNA. My father was a cop, and I thought, oh, no wonder, but I like it, and I think... There's the other part of it. It's that just like okay, crime solved, done, and find go the bad, right? Yeah, you're done, right? It's uh, like that you have to have you have to have justice. Exercising all of that, it's uh, the sense of justice, at, right? At probably exercising my rage and yeah, at at, at things in life. Nancy and, wants to kick a nun too. No. <laughs> Only a nun who's murdered a baby. There you go. There you, there you go. Well, Nancy, thank you so. You've been. I'm sorry. Maybe the most delightful show we've ever done. She's adorable. I think like the most delightful show we've ever done. Thank you so much for doing this. It's a pleasure. Thank you. I adore you. Thank you. Back at you. (laughs) So, Wheezy, John, Lindsay. Yes. Hello. You know, I know it sounded like lip service, but I sincerely, with all of my heart and soul, mean it. That was the most delightful conversation that I think I've had on the air. That 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 we've that I, that was just amazing. She was so lovely. So, do you think that we can be her besties? I hope so. I'm I'm praying so. I'm because yeah. now she said yes to me to women who write. You know, I begged her against. I don't write. I was like, you don't have to write. You can just come and do this. Just come and talk with us. And women will have questions, and we'll just chat with her, and we'll talk about we'll talk more about We Spark than we did today mm-hmm. because. Because there are going to be a lot of women in the room that have gone through cancer and probably could use some some support and um, awareness of that. Mm-hmm. But okay, so takeaway with Nancy, um, I, I, I asked you to write something down when she said it, Wheezy, because really for me, it really is what the culmination of her life has become. So, so what was it that she said? She said that when you're asking people for money or for services, that instead of feeling like you're bothering them, you should feel like you're giving people the opportunity to support something wonderful. To be of service. And, 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 and that's the thing. For the last 15 years, she's devoted her life to being of service. This is a beautiful thing. 
because this is somebody that could be working. This is somebody that could be in movies. She could be doing television shows. She could be on Netflix. She could do like whatever she wants. She's got an incredible track record. She's done, she's got a, a, an unbelievable resume and she's, you know, a beautiful, talented woman. She's still gorgeous. I mean, for those of you who, uh, is she is she gorgeous, John? She is. She's gorgeous. <laughs> I, mean, I have to admit. Right? I mean, she's like, even to me, I'm a girl, I'm, I'm straight. I look at her, she's so beautiful. She's kind of radiant. She is. She's completely radiant. And so here's what I got. Okay, tell me what you got. She's just really grounded. Very grounded. And I don't Practical. Know, grounded and... and practical and I don't know that she always knew this but she was sort of like on a, a lifelong journey to get comfortable with herself and she's gotten ah, there I like that I I absolutely she couldn't talk at auditions she right is she couldn't go on the date she couldn't yeah she wasn't and, and look how look how swiftly she moved yeah you through. can get there even if you feel awkward right now you can get to a place where you're going to be like okay I got this Right, from where she started to having the courage to say, no, I don't want to do this anymore. I mean, think about that. Which is huge, because I don't think she's independently wealthy that she could afford to just say, okay, I'm never going to... I mean, because think how much how much easier her life would probably be if she made a few mov more movies and did some more television, right? So, Lindsay, so so what did you think of Nancy Allen? I thought she was wonderful. I mean, for my first show here, like, yeah. this is cool. <laughs> And I think she was wonderful to see because she's so open about everything. And Does it make you want to go back and watch her movies? Yeah, because right? honestly, I haven't seen it. Well, of course, because you're 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 young, but I'm telling you, if you're going to go back, the two that I would recommend for a for a girl, RoboCop, a little boy, RoboCop, but no, Robo RoboCop is more boy <laughs> stuff. For you, I'm going to say you watch Carrie and you watch Dress to Kill, but don't watch them alone because they are both scary as. Fuck. Are they are they horror movies? They are they're scary. They're they're thrill. Ooh. There's lots of blood. No 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 no. They're they're thrillers <laughs> more than true. they're than they're scary. Oh, they're they're okay. not like Friday the Thirteenth kind of thing. They're okay. they're very they're thrillers. Yeah, they're not slasher they're, movies. They're, right. Okay. They're they're very suspenseful and don't watch it. I'm t do not watch either I'll of just, those I'll alone. I'll just go back and watch them with my roommates. It's cool. Ex there you go. <laughs> um, so anyway, I and I, I actually want to go back and I, I want to watch them myself because now that now that I've spent, I've, I've known Nancy for a couple of years, but now that I've spent this time with her, it'll be a very different experience watching her movies, I think. Um, so John, did you, so what'd you think of Nancy? I think she's great. Like I said, to have the courage to get to that point where she's like, no, because think about... How many people are out there trying to keep faking things and doing the wow, complete yeah. opposite of what she's doing? I mean, I know this term authentic gets thrown around a lot. It's kind of like a, but she she is authentic. Ooh, ooh, ooh. You just touched on something really important with her. I think you just got to the heart of it. The, the authenticity, she just decided she didn't want to do commercials anymore. She just decided, you know, she made these decisions. She was done with New York. Mm -hmm. She was going to come to L.A. She auditioned for, for television and she was like, no, I'm not doing that. That's not, I'm not going to do that. And she made decisions and she followed her authentic path. She didn't sell herself out. The only thing she sold herself out on was she removed them all. <laughs> That's a little thing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Literally and figuratively. You know, I mean, it, 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 really, I mean, I, I really think that is the essence of who she is, is that she is true to herself and she is her authentic self and she listens to her inner voice. She's very in touch with 
what what works for her. Um, Maybe that's how she ultimately got comfortable with herself is that she would make choices that felt right and then she could own those choices and the results. But it doesn't sound to me like she made too many choices that she didn't think were right. Like that's she, what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. But, but I'm saying, well, from the way you, you said it, it made it sound like to me like she saw the difference. And to me, I think she organically knew the difference because she only seemed to do the right things. And what's interesting, because she was her authentic self and because she was doing the right things, opportunities just presented themselves because mm. she wasn't walking into walls she wasn't trying to grab things that weren't hers that weren't right. good for her and I think because she was following her authentic path doors were just opening and that's the other takeaway with this is you know I bang my head against the wall trying to get things that are not mine people that are not good for me situations that are not good for me and mm. I really believe I said this in the car on my way here talking on the phone to somebody if something is hard work and trouble to begin with, it's only going to get worse. It doesn't get better. If things don't start out easy, it ain't happening. Right. Right? So it sounds to me like Nancy's always taken the path of least resistance. And I, and, and the fact that she's had all this blessed opportunity, I think, really speaks to that. Mm-hmm. And like what we were talking about in the beginning of the show, too, it's like listening to your gut. Like she oh. totally listens to her gut. You know, and, and that's another thing that I didn't touch on in the in the top of the show. Thank you for bringing that up. My gut at the beginning of that situation, that relationship, immediately my gut was screaming. It was screaming, and I knew something was wrong, and I was being told everything was all right, everything was all right, and I knew. I knew, and it gnawed at me. Here's and your, I, there's your sign. And I thought something was wrong with me. I thought I was being paranoid. I thought I was being this, and I, I was blaming myself for my gut. No. I really believe our gut is our higher power speaking through us. That That's, to me, divine intervention. So um, that's a lot of takeaway for one show. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But it's great. I mean, I got a lot out of this, and I hope that you guys did too. Yes. I thank you all so much, John, Lindsay, Wheezy. Thank you for, for being here with me and for wow and uh for those of you at home um thank you for tuning in and come back next tuesday for a new show or anytime because um we're a radio free podcast here whenever you are come back next week for the road taken thanks a new show every tuesday available on itunes soundcloud stitcher tune in and on the corner of hollywood and vine where i'll be using a bullhorn well you can also get links to all this and more at vickiabelson.com that's v-i-c-k-i-a-b-e-l-s-o-n please follow subscribe review lather rinse repeat till next tuesday And mine and binge our archive while you're at it. It's rich with information, inspiration, and fun, damn it. Thanks for listening. And if you like to watch, keep your eyes peeled for our next Facebook Live. How am I doing today?